Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. Confession is one part of praying for one another. And when we confess to one another, it is not so that they can know all of the deep, dark things about ourselves, but it's actually meant to bring us together at the foot of the cross. You're listening to Confess to One Another by Reverend Peter Yonker. Our Bible reading this morning is from the Epistle to James. Epistle of James, chapter 5, I will read verses 13 through 16, and that's found on page 1884 of your Pew Bibles. This is uh, the second to last of the one another sermons for those of you who are visiting. All through the fall, we've been looking at some of the one another statements of the New Testament. It becomes a kind of a curriculum of community. And when I planned out this sermon series, I set aside today for confess to one another, which you will hear is in this passage in chapter, verse 16, it says confess to one another. But something happened as I studied this, this passage this week, I, I began to realize uh, that maybe uh, confess to one another while it's in that passage, maybe it's not the center of that passage. So as I read, judge for yourselves, do you think Confess to one another, is that the center of what we're called to here, or is there some other kind of center in James' intent? Listen. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make that sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. This is the word of the Lord. So what about it? As I read that passage, as you read with me, do you think confession is the center of that passage? You certainly heard that phrase, confess to one another. But is confession the heart of that passage? I think it's pretty clear that it is not. And that really this is more generally a call for us to pray for one another. So probably a better title for this sermon would be pray for one another, which is definitely a one another that ought to be in this sermon series. So I'm glad that that's become the subject of today. And a part of that is confessing to one another. It's in our passage. But the larger category is pray for one another. And that's what I want to focus on using James' words. That means that I will not be spending much time with the elephant in this passage. Uh, I don't know if you know what the elephant in this passage is, but this is a classic, one of the classic difficult passages of the New Testament because James seems to be guaranteeing that if you go to the elders with a sick person and have them anoint that person with oil, that person will be healed. James seems to guarantee something like a miracle. I want to say two things about that, that impression. First, as a pastor, over the course of my ministry, I have done this. I've been called, I've gone with elders, I've anointed people with oil and prayed with them. And sometimes wonderful, miraculous things have happened. And sometimes the illness just took its natural course. And sometimes the person died more or less as medicine predicted. 
I don't know what that tells us, only that our experience in this passage don't always match up perfectly, and that's what makes it difficult. That's one thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say is this. One of the central promises that that James is saying about that promise of healing is that the Lord will raise that person up. And that word, raise up, that's the same word that Jesus used when he predicts his death and resurrection in the Gospels. So Jesus says, I will die, I'll be crucified, and then on the third day, I will be raised up. So that makes me wonder. We think about going to the elders and anointing with oil and praying. Sometimes that means that a person who goes through that will experience miraculous healing for their ailment in this life. All the time it means that person will experience the miraculous healing of the resurrection when they receive their resurrection body. I don't know that that answers all the questions about that passage, but there's something to start you off. And again, that's not the main thing I want to talk about today. I want to focus on a different question, I think a more central question in this passage, and that's this. Why does James require you when you seek healing to go to the elders and get the elders involved in your prayer to God for healing. Why involve the elders? The elders aren't the ones who heal. God's the one who heals, right? God has all the power here. God's the one who's doing this. Why do I need to go to, why do I need a middleman? Why can't I just pray to God for healing and and me and God take care of it? Why do I have to have the rigmarole of calling the elders, having come over to my house, being anointed with oil? Does God need that stuff? Second question, similar in the same passage, why do I need to confess my sins to other people? Why do I need to confess my sins to other church members? Why can't I just confess them to God? Let me qualify this. When, When James is calling us to confess to one another, I don't think he's calling us to confess to the person I personally sinned against. I think obviously that is something we are called to do throughout Scripture. That's part of the forgiveness process. I think here... James is talking more generally, so that if I have a problem with anger or a problem with lust, I am being called to confess it to another church member, not the one I sinned against. Why, why does James want me to do that? Does everybody need to know my business? Why can't I just confess to God? The answer to that question, I think, is us. It's one another. James calls us through the Holy Spirit to tell each other about our sins, to tell each other about our sicknesses and our vulnerabilities, because it is an important way in which the Holy Spirit knits us together as the family of God. It creates community. And if you read James 5, 13 through 16 carefully, you can hear James encouraging both individual personal prayer to God and corporate communal together prayer to God for our sins and needs. Verse 13, it's clear our joys and sorrows personally before God. But after in 14 through 16, it's all of us together, sharing our needs and bringing them to the Lord. James wants us, the Holy Spirit wants us to be naked in our vulnerabilities before each other. I choose that word naked on purpose. Because I think the reason James is calling us to this is because communal prayer does something to turn around the results of the fall. Now, 
Stick with me on this. Genesis 3, fall of man, Adam and Eve eat the apple. They rebel against God. They try to get God's power and his knowledge, and it blows up in their face. And the first result of their sin is, you will remember, shame. They hide from God and from each other. They cover each other up. They move away from each other. And that's what shame is, right? All of a sudden, you realize your inadequacies, you realize your brokenness, and you, oh, I don't, I don't want others to see that. So it's a profoundly disruptive thing to community. So Adam and Eve cover up their vulnerabilities and hide. When we think about shame, what are the two things that we human beings are most likely to be ashamed of? Our sins. If people actually knew the things I did, if they actually knew the thoughts that go in my head, they wouldn't want to associate with me. So we cover those up. And our weaknesses. If we have blemishes and weaknesses, we human beings don't like to show those. We want to look strong. We cover those things up. There have been some people, some in my family, who suggested that I might need a hearing aid. My reaction to that is, I don't want a hearing aid. Why? Because, apologies to you people who have hearing aids, and I'm going to be one of you very soon. But it, you, you, you resist it, right? Because you feel like, oh, that's, that's me showing weakness. So shame is a recognition of our vulnerabilities and our sins and an intuition to cover those things up. That's what we see in Genesis 3. That's what we see in life. What are the two things that James calls to open up to one another in our prayers? Confess your sins. Share your sickness and weakness. Do you see how James is reversing what happened in the fall? In sin, we want to cover our shame, James is saying. In prayer, come to each other and open up those things and bring them together before the face of Jesus. Because it is in that kind of nakedness and confession and shared need that the Holy Spirit works and makes us into a community. This is a really important part of prayer that we don't often think of. We often hear that prayer is powerful because it is our relationship with God. That is so true. We often hear that prayer is powerful because prayer changes things. God does things when we pray. That is also so true. We sometimes hear that prayer is powerful because we have stuff in our life and this allows us to dump it on God. Also completely true. What we hear less is that prayer is so important because it is part of what draws us together as the family of God. And it really happens. You longer-term members know that we started our live stream uh, four years ago. Uh, we did it before COVID. It wasn't because of COVID that we started our live stream. We started it because we wanted to connect people who were homebound or had long-term illnesses, and sometimes we wanted to connect snowbirds. And of course, at the time, we thought the most important thing is that they get to hear the sermon because we Christian Reformed people think the sermon is so important. But here's something that surprised us. When we heard from those live streamers early on, especially the shut-ins, what they said they loved was, was the pastoral prayer. They absolutely loved hearing the names of the people in their congregation being prayed for and being able to pray personally for those people along with the congregation. It made them feel part of the family of God. Something similar happened last week 
in our evening service, if you were here, you'll know what I mean. It was our annual remembrance service that we always do around All Saints Day. And at that service, traditionally, what we do is we read the names of every member of LaGrave who's died in the last year, and we lift them up before the face of Jesus. But this year, we did something different. All the people who are in the pew were invited to fill out a card and put names of people who died, could have been years ago, but just people who's lost, they still feel. Write that name down. Those names were brought forward. And then Christy and I read all those names out loud in the church and lifted them up to Jesus. There were so many names. When people came into church, they looked normal like you do now. After we'd opened up and shared the names of these people we lost, there was a deeper sense of togetherness at the end of that service. A sense that we were united, not just in our grief, but in our hope. And that's why afterwards, we felt it necessary to have coffee and cookies together. It was a community experience, which is what prayer is. So James calls us to share our prayers and our needs and our vulnerabilities with one another. And I'm sure some of you are wondering right now in your head, well, wait a minute. Does that mean I have to get up before everyone and tell them all my sins and all my diseases? And if I'm struggling with porn, do I have to stand up in front of the congregation and tell everyone that this is my struggle? Do I have to let everybody know that every detail of my diverticulitis, does, does every ache and pain have to be in the bulletin? No. We don't have to tell all the things to all of the people, but we have to tell our stuff to some other Christian brother or sister. We have to share it with someone and lift up in prayer with that person. Even Jesus needed people to pray for him. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, he doesn't tell all the disciples. He just takes three of them alongside, Peter, James, and John, and asks them to pray. They don't do a very good job, but Jesus needs their prayers. And if Jesus needs their prayer, Jesus needs prayer, you probably do too. The work of following Jesus is not a free solo climb up the mountain of righteousness. It is a team sport. We're in it together. Pay just a little attention. Look around you in the world and you will see that this, this sharing of vulnerabilities and ability to be naked before another human being with your need, that's something that people really want and are hungry for. I was reading this week an article in the Boston Globe, and this was specific to the state of Massachusetts, that there's an enormous shortage of therapists in Massachusetts. So if you have something going on in your life, if you have some need and you want to talk to a therapist, good luck finding someone who has time in Massachusetts. It's just so many people with need and so few therapists. And based on my anecdotal experience, I think the same problem exists in Michigan. This overwhelming need people have to talk, and part of what is driving this, this shortage, and this is me speaking, not the Boston Globe, is the breakdown in institutions of trust and care, like the church. If church is losing its sense of community, if intimacy isn't happening in church, you've got no one to talk to about your stuff in the church. And if the same thing's happening in the family, if families are drifting apart and you're losing trust and intimacy in the family and you've got something going on in your life, where do you go? You've got nowhere to go. You've got to pay someone to listen to you. 
People are longing to confess, their, to share their vulnerabilities. People are also longing to confess their sins. And you may not think so, but watch and you can see that people want to tell others their sins. I listen to a lot of music and um, one of the bands I've always liked for a long time is a band called Radiohead, which I'm sure many of you don't know, and that's fine. Um, they've been around for 30 years, and those of you who stream music know that if you go on to a, a, a streaming site, you go to the, a band or an artist, it always shows you their most popular songs, right? You always see their most popular songs. Radiohead's written hundreds of songs that are successful, but consistently the most popular song that they have is a song called Creep. I went online this week and I saw that Creep has been played, streamed over a billion times, billion with a B. And that's peculiar because Creep is a song about shame. It's not just a song about shame, it's a song designed to evoke shame. To resonate with that shame that people feel in their heart. Here are some of the lyrics, cleaned up a little bit. I want to have control. I want a perfect body. I want a perfect soul. I wish I was special. But I'm a creep. I'm a weirdo. What the heck am I doing here? I don't belong here. That was the last four lines. I'm a creep, I'm a weirdo. That's the chorus. And they sing it over and over again. And if you watch concert video, the people at the concert sing it at the top of their lungs with them. I'm a creep, I'm a weirdo. Why is that song so popular? Because people need to express this feeling they have in their souls. These may be people who are relatives, completely secular. They may, they may not believe in sin. If you ask them, they may say, I don't believe in sin, but they can feel the weight of the brokenness in their own soul. And so when they get in their car, they put on the radio, they put on this song, and they sing Creep at the top of their lungs with tears running down their faces. The call to share each other's vulnerabilities, the call to share and confess our sins before one another is not some sort of meddling intrusion into each other's life. It is an opportunity for the gospel to be shared. Because when people come to us with these vulnerabilities in need, we take them to the cross. We take them with us to the foot of the cross. And at the foot of the cross, we may come naked, but we do not leave naked. Because our weakness isn't clothed in the strength of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his resurrection power, and our sins are clothed in his righteousness, and we are changed. The cross is where people want to find themselves. Ministers are not therapists. We do spend a lot of time doing pastoral counseling. When I started out in pastoral counseling, I had it in my head that uh, the key to pastoral counseling was wise pastoral counsel, good advice. So if someone came in, I ought to have clever and good things to say to them to tell them what to do when they go out. I still think that's important, but for me now, the most important part of pastoral counseling is the end, where after sharing each other's vulnerabilities, we bow our head and lift our prayers up to God and allow the love of Jesus to clothe us.
Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. Amen. Lord Jesus, we come here as gifted, strong people, but we also come here as people with deep need, grief, loss, sin, fear. It's all there for all of us. And so we come as we always do to the foot of your cross and we fall on our knees and we look to you to clothe us again. And we say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on us and set us free. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.